Chapter 14 Bible Studies While his family struggled in Frankfurt, Franz had contracted malaria. After months of illness, he slowly recuperated. One day, he was told to go to the Hauptmann. As usual, Franz saluted with his hand to his head. You wanted to see me, sir? Hassel, you have been ill, and you have not had leave for a long time. You are entitled to a furlough. If you leave right away, you could be home by Christmas. Be back in three weeks. Good luck. Safe travels. Mikus held out his hand, and Franz shook it warmly. Is it possible? wondered Franz. Can I really be home for Christmas? Will I find my family? Do I still have a home? He packed in haste, filling his bags with cans of oil, bread, butter, canned goods, and local cheese he bought from the peasants. Then he set out. No systematic travel plans could be made. Trains went where the tracks were intact, and that changed from day to day. He boarded a freight train and headed in the direction of Poland. Finally, they reached the border at Brest-Litovsk. From there, he boarded a train that was to take him across Poland to Germany. No sooner had Franz found a seat and the train started rolling when there was a commotion outside. Whistles blew. SS men ran down the length of the platform, shouting for the engineer to stop. What's going on? Franz inquired of a soldier. They forgot to put an empty car in front of the engine. Franz looked uncomprehending. Why do we need an empty car? Where have you been? Don't you know that the Polish partisans lay explosives on the tracks? If we hit one of those spots, only the empty car will be blown up, not the whole train. No, Franz did not know that. In the Caucasus, the relations between the Wehrmacht and the civilians were friendly and cordial. There had been no sabotage. The journey continued. Sometimes the train had to take a detour because the tracks were damaged. Other times it stood on a siding for hours while bombs hailed down. Through it all, on Christmas morning they arrived safely in Frankfurt. How terrible the city looked. Bombs had destroyed nearly half of it. The streets were covered by rubble and smoldering cinder. Franz hurried home wondering what he would find. In the distance he could already see the apartment buildings. They still stood. As he approached the door, Helena tore it open and fell into his arms. She had recognized him by his gait. Children, children, come quickly! Papa is home! What a Christmas celebration they had! With the food that Franz had brought, Helena prepared a feast. They had not heard from each other in many months, and now they were all together again, safe and sound. There was so much to share. In the evening, tired and happy, they had a service of praise and thanksgiving. The next day, Franz went to visit church members. As he left, he warned his children to leave his things alone. But the temptation was too great for Gert. He sneaked in the bedroom and explored his father's gear. He put on Franz's side hat, strapped on his holster, and strutted around, pretending to be a big, powerful soldier. Suddenly, his father stood before him, his face white as chalk. He shut the door and turned to his little boy. Gert, what have you done? Didn't I tell you to stay away from my things? Papa, I just... I only... I didn't hurt anything, I promise. Gert, come here. You discovered something that no one else in the world knows. Did you notice that I have a piece of wood in my holster instead of a revolver? I carry this so Satan cannot tempt me to kill anyone and break God's commandments. But it is treason and a crime to be a soldier without a weapon. If anyone finds out, they will shoot me, and you won't have a papa anymore. You must promise not to tell anyone. 
frightened and sobbing, Kurt stammered. I promise, Papa. I didn't know. I don't want you to get killed. I won't ever tell anyone. Go in and play. Forget what you saw here. Little Kurt felt the weight of carrying such a big responsibility. Of course he would never give his papa away. It was, however, a wonderful opportunity to prove his importance to his older brother and sister. He couldn't pass up the chance. When he found them, he chanted, I know something that you don't know. It's a big secret between papa and me, and nobody but us two can know about it. If I tell, he'll get killed. With that, he pranced away, leaving the other two dying with curiosity and mad because they had not been let into the secret. When Gert decided to have a better look at the wooden pistol, he found the bedroom door locked. All too soon, the visit came to an end, and Franz had headed back to Russia. Travel conditions by then were such that it took him a whole three months to rejoin his unit. On the way, he met up with his two old friends, Willi and Karl. At one point in the three-month journey, the men found a large radio. Knowing that if they were caught listening to an enemy station, they'd be punished, they still turned the radio dial trying to find war news. London's BBC told of Russian advances and German defeats, while the German station aired a rousing speech by Goebbels, stating that Germany was mobilizing 50 new divisions at home and was ready to launch a total offensive that would be the beginning of the final victory. Franz and his friends looked at each other and slowly shook their heads. That's absurd, Karl whispered. Where on earth is Germany going to find enough men to set up fifty new divisions? Finally, they reached Dejancoy in the Crimea. Walking down the street, Willi suddenly pointed across to the other side. My, my, he murmured. Look who's over there. The other men turned their heads to see Lieutenant, seldom cheerful, Gutschalk striding purposefully along. The three crossed the street, saluted, and reported back to duty. The lieutenant, who had arrived that day to consult an army dentist, reluctantly asked them to join him in his room for the night. Company 699 was stationed in Siemferopol, a day's journey away, and the men would have to wait until tomorrow to rejoin it. When they reached the lieutenant's quarters, they discovered a single brass bed. Naturally, the senior officer was entitled to it, so the others lay on the floor. Half an hour later, a cursing Peter Gutschalk jumped out of bed. What's the matter, Lieutenant? I can't stand it. The bed is swarming with bedbugs and they're eating me alive. When the men turned on the light, hundreds of bedbugs fled up the wall and disappeared, while the unlucky Lieutenant scratched the welts they had left on his body. He joined the others on the floor, where they hadn't been bothered at all. The next day, Franz, Willi, and Karl reunited with Pioneer Park Company 699 in the Crimea, Franz found his office intact and even his remaining private possessions undisturbed. He resumed his old duties. One warm Wednesday, Franz sat on the wooden bench outside his quarters. He had just finished his lunch and was enjoying a few minutes in the sun. As was his habit when he took a break, he was reading his Bible. Just then, Lieutenant Gutschalk walked by. The very sight of Franz made his hackles rise. Hassel, I see you are reading your book of Jewish fairy tales again. I cannot understand how an enlightened person can believe that garbage. You're nothing but a disguised Jew and a communist. If I had my way, you would be liquidated like them. Just in time, Franz remembered the text in Amos. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. He let the insult go unchallenged. Franz's silence enraged Gutschalk even more. 
His veins stood out on his neck like cords as he raged. I am watching you. One day you're going to slip up and then I will destroy you. A few days later, Hauptmann Mika sauntered into the office and closed the door behind him. So, Hassel, he said, you know a lot about the Bible, don't you? I know some things, Franz responded cautiously. Come with your Bible to my quarters tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. I have some questions I want to ask you. Yes, sir, Franz said. What's he getting at, he wondered. What new trial am I in for now? Punctually the next morning, Franz entered the Hauptmann's room. To his surprise, Sergeant Erich and Lieutenant Gutschalk were also present. Mikas motioned Franz to the remaining chair at the table. Without delay, the Hauptmann asked, Somewhere in the Bible it says something about being punished to the third and fourth generation. What is that all about? That's part of the Ten Commandments. Franz turned to Exodus 20 and read to them. I remember from my childhood that it talks about a lake of fire. Yes, that's in Revelation 20, where it talks about the final judgment. Franz found the passage and explained its meaning. Finally, the Hauptmann's eyebrows twitched in admiration. So you do know your Bible inside and out. Franz's eyes twinkled. He pinched his Bible between thumb and forefinger and held it up. I know the outside, he said. It's black leather, and I also know the inside a little bit. He glanced around at the rest of them, and since no one jumped into the conversation, he decided to take the lead. Hauptmann Mikus, he began. I understand that in civilian life you are a history professor. That's right. I wonder if you could help me. The Hauptmann inclined his head graciously. I will do my best. The Bible contains some prophecies with historical contents that were written around 600 BC, Franz said, and I have always wanted to check them out with an expert in the field. Would you be willing to let me present them and then give me your feedback on the accuracy of the facts? Flattered, the unsuspecting Hauptmann responded, I'd be glad to. Go right ahead. Franz now pulled out the worn postcard that he had carried in his wallet since 1921 when he had been baptized as a convert from Catholicism. On the card's front was a picture of the image described in Daniel 2, and on the back Franz had carefully typed the dates and events corresponding to each part of the image. He carefully went through the chapter verse by verse discussing the empires of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. After three and a half hours he turned to the Hauptmann. Do I have everything correct? he asked. As I say, I'm no expert in history. I'd be grateful to you if you would point out any errors. No, the astonished officer replied. No errors? Everything is accurate. He gazed at the sergeant and at the lieutenant, and then back to Franz. Hassel, I have never heard anything so amazing in my life. Do you see what a timely book the Bible is, sir? Franz paused for effect. Yet can you imagine, he continued, that there are still individuals in the Third Reich who say that people who read the Bible are disguised Jews and communists and ought to be liquidated? The Hauptmann's brows lowered in a puzzled frown. What's that? Do people really say that? Yes, Herr Hauptmann. Franz allowed his gaze to rest for just a moment on Peter Gutschalk's ears. They were bright red, and the lieutenant seemed not to know where to look in his embarrassment. Well, Franz, said Hauptmann Mikus, back to the book. You haven't finished. We got as far as the iron legs of Rome, but to the feet represent. Franz explained the ten toes representing the ten tribes of modern Europe. 
He described the characteristics of iron and clay that make it impossible for these two substances to stick together. With that, he brought the Bible study to a conclusion. The Hauptmann was quiet for a moment. Well, he finally asked, what does it mean? Franz took a careful breath and prayed for courage as he did so. Herr Hauptmann, he said, the only conclusion a Bible student can come to is that a Führer cannot win this war. It will not be possible for him to unite Europe under his leadership and establish his thousand-year Third Reich. He looked earnestly into the Hauptmann's face. Sir, the Bible's predictions have been proved accurate again and again. And if they're accurate here, it means that we're fighting a losing battle. Dead silence. Finally, the Hauptmann glanced at his watch. It's noon. We need to hurry, otherwise we'll get nothing to eat. Where has the time gone? He stood up, and the others instantly rose in respect. Basel. Yes, Herr Hauptmann? May I borrow your Bible for just a few days? Certainly, sir. I have another copy in my room. Here, just let me remove my notes. Keep it as long as you like. In a daze, the men left the Hauptmann's quarters. Lieutenant Goodshaw carefully avoided eye contact with Franz. A week later, the Hauptmann returned the Bible. Basel, he said. I appreciate what you shared with me. He looked around and lowered his voice. From now on, we will no longer operate a third of our motorized vehicles. The gasoline rations thus saved, I want you to store in drums and canisters, so that when the end comes, we will have enough fuel to get back home. Yes, sir. And remember, Hassel, this is just between you and me. Production of Solemn Appeal Ministries, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit us at solemnappeal.com or call 1 888 449 1452.